Let's, uh, let's open our Bibles today to the book of Philippians in the New Testament, the book of Philippians, chapter 4. We're working our way uh, through this book, and uh, this is one of those books that you could uh, spend an awful lot more time than, than we have already. I'd like to talk to you today about the profile of a Christian. You know, I think in every generation, uh, one, of the, one of the goals of the church is to somehow, in the midst of a, uh, the perverse culture that churches always have to function in, uh, portrays to the kids, you know, these kids that we had up here this morning, what authentic Christianity really is. Uh, and um, if ever there is a book of the Bible in the New Testament that helps us learn about that, it's the book of Philippians. Paul, remember, is under house arrest. Uh, his future is very uncertain. Uh, he spent a lot of time saying, listen, it's okay for me. If I die, I, I'm going to go be with the Lord. That's better. If I don't, I'm going to stick here with you, and that's good for you because I expect my life to be fruitful. And so either way, it's a win-win situation. And I think if you look at life that way and if I look at life that way, uh, life uh, has a whole new shade of joy for us. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and my crown. So stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Paul calls the people at Philippi his joy. You know, the older you get, the more, uh, the more you realize that the, the, the lives of the people that you affect through your life is what really counts. And, uh, and it, it brings you joy. There are a lot of things in life you look to to find joy, but that, that's also fleeting. But uh, as you grow older, you, you realize when somebody's serving the Lord and they're growing in God, that makes you happier than any other thing. And he says, listen, I know that the Philippian church is doing well, and so therefore you're my joy. You, you bring me joy. But the Philippian church was not perfect, as we see in verse 2. I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Two ladies... They had a little issue going on. We're not told what it was. Uh, but uh, someone said to me one time, wherever you have movement, there is friction. And so uh, they were good people. Uh, they just had a difference of opinion. And so Paul says to the church at Philippi, I want you to get this worked out. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. He says in effect right here, I want you to put your arms around these two ladies and I want you to get this worked out because they're good workers. Uh, they've worked with me. Uh, they're working with you. Their names are in the book of life. In verse number four, he begins to really, really launch into the climax of the of the last part of the verse, and he accentuates uh, the theme of the book. And you know what the theme of the book is. The theme of the book is joy. And so he makes a command here. This is not a suggestion. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And uh, he says, in case you didn't get that, I repeat it again. He says, again, I say what? Rejoice. I, I command you to rejoice. 
Now, I used to try that with my kids, and it didn't work. I used to say, get happy. It doesn't work. You know, it, it sounds good, but it doesn't work. But whenever you read it in the Bible, the Lord has never asked us to do anything that we can't do. He doesn't say to us, you know, this is something, I, here's a command I throw out there for you to do, you just can't do it. And so this is something that we are commanded to do, and this is something we can do, rejoice. Always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men, because the Lord is at hand. And here's the big verse about worry in the Bible. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Be anxious for nothing. That means don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He said, if you pray about the things you've been worrying about, uh, God has a blessing for you. And in verse number four, the blessing is given. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know, this letter is a thank you letter to the Philippian congregation for the support that they sent him uh, by way of their courier that they sent in his direction. Now Paul is writing them back, thanking them. You know, usually when somebody gives us a gift, we, uh, we try to thank them. We write them a little note, thank you for the gift. We call them up, hey, I just want to thank you for this gift. Or better yet, we see them in person and we look them in their eyes and we say, hey, listen, I want to thank you for this. Well, back in that day, uh, this is the way they did it, long distance. Uh, they didn't have email, Skype any of those things, uh, they had to send these couriers. And so Paul is penning this letter, and this, this is a thank you letter. The main theme of this book is joy. Uh, and the interesting thing about this joy is that it's a joy that was demonstrated in his life despite the circumstances that he was going through. Uh, this is not referring to the gifts of the Spirit. This is referring to the fruit of the Spirit. I remember many years ago, we were all caught up in finding out in the church what, what gifts we had spiritually. Remember those days? We used to take those spiritual gifts tests, and uh, we'd go around and say, okay, now your gift is this, and your gift is this. I remember one guy took the test. He, uh, he excelled in all, the, all of them, and so there was nothing that he was poor in, evidently. Uh, and we, uh, we said, listen, we've got to move you over here because this is where you're gifted at. Well, uh, for sure, we don't know all there is to know about the gifts of the Spirit, but we do know the gifts of the Spirit are given unevenly. That means you may have one and you may have something different. And, we all, and so God designs it so we all work together. You know, he has a, a part of the church for everyone. But the fruit of the Spirit is different. Uh, the fruit is, of the Spirit is something we all have. Galatians 5.22 uh, is uh, one of the great verses. And I apologize today for all this... The, the screen being blocked, but you don't mind that because by the time you get down there, you don't have to read anymore, right? <laughs> let's, let's read up at the top, okay? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Now, much has been made that, uh, that this is referring to something that is singular, not plural. And so this means that the fruit of the Spirit is given to you as a package, all these things you have when you're saved. You have a new dimension of love. You have a new dimension of joy. 
for sure you have a new dimension of peace. Uh, this is a package. And it's interesting that, uh, that he's talking about, uh, I want you to work this problem out that these two ladies are having one with another. And then he launches right into the theme of joy or rejoicing. Um, and I was reading, Charles Spurgeon said, the joy of the Lord is the cure to discord. Now just let that sink in a minute. That's the first time I ever heard that. Charles Spurgeon, he has something to say about everything. Uh, and we keep quoting it generation after generation. Uh, the joy of the Lord is the cure for discord. And so he's talking about discord, and then he says, listen, I want you to be joyful in the Lord. What are the marks of a Christian? First of all, in our text for this morning, there is a special kind of joy. It's not connected to our circumstances. Now, I know that's, that's, that's a mystery to you, and it's a mystery to me. Paul is under house arrest. He is chained to his guard. Remember, uh, we had him there in that, uh, that picture. With his, he's chained to the guard. Um, and uh, he is possibly has an impending death, uh, a special kind of joy not connected to our circumstances. It's an unhappiness. Uh, unhappiness can't push joy out of our life because they're two different things. Happiness or unhappiness is determined by our happenings. I remember several years ago, I have this big dictionary. You know, people don't use books anymore. Uh, if you want to buy a few, come back to my office. You know, we have everything on the computer now. I have this big old dictionary back in my office, and it, it goes back and, uh, you know, it, it elaborates in all these words. Uh, and so if you go back uh, a period of time, you find that the word happiness comes from the old English word hap, H-A-P. Uh, and it, uh, it means that we're happy when good things happen to us when we have the right circumstances take place in our life. It's determined by happenings. Good happenings, we have, we're happy. Bad happenings, we're what? We're unhappy. And, uh, and this is the roller coaster that you and I ride every day. I can't tell you how many times each day I'm happy or unhappy. Uh, it's too many times for you to know. Something good happens, we go way up. Something bad happens, what? We go way down. And we're going like this. But uh, the joy of which the Bible teaches is something different than, uh, th than is created by our happenings. Uh, it's created by the Lord. And it's a gift to you and to me. And uh, unhappiness can never push the joy of the Lord out of your life. And the reason why is because it can't push Christ out of your life. Uh, no matter what terrible things may happen to you in your life, uh, that does not affect or should not affect the joy that you have in your heart. You know, we're a walking mystery as a Christian. Uh, how can a person going through so many bad things face so many insurmountable obstacles and have this underlying joy? Uh, you and I are even conflicted with it, and we're Christians, and we should know. Uh, two things going on at the same time, joy and unhappiness. And uh, probably you in this church this morning and I uh, experienced this just yesterday. 
disappointments in life, all sorts of things happening that are going wrong, uh, many people doing things that we're not happy with. But deep down in our heart, there is a joy. It's kind of like two lovers. They're always happy to be together no matter where they are. Uh, Joanne and I, Joanne and I met each other in church. You know, it's a good place to meet people. You know that? I talked to somebody the other day and I said, where'd you meet this guy? And they said, oh, in the bar. I said, holy cow. Strike one. Uh, Joanne and I years ago met each other in the church. We had our dates in the church. I said, well, let's go on a date. She said, well, we'll go to church. I said, I'd be happy to go to church on a date. And my church interest really grew during those years, really did. We carried our Bibles to church. We talked about the things of the Lord. Uh, we had uh, lots of things in common, especially the Lord. And you know what we did? Uh, we figured that the Lord would help us get through this thing called marriage. We knew nothing about it, but we knew that God created it. And so if we would submit ourselves to him, he'd help us get through it. And he's still helping us. He really is. Um, I was in the Air Force back in those years, uh, doing my duty for the country. Uh, by day I was in the Air Force, and by night I worked in the Dairy Queen. That was one of my favorite jobs, by the way. <laughs> I closed up the Dairy Queen at night, and the owner says, listen, you can take all the mistakes home with you. And I just made sure that we had enough mistakes for me to take home at night. And I'd come home each night with a little goodie bag, or a big goodie bag. The pay was minuscule, but boy, when you add the food onto it, it was pretty good. Uh, you know, the joy of two lovers being together is a wonderful thing. It really is. Uh, I have a, a picture of our little uh, garage. How many people have ever heard of a garage apartment? This is, a, this is the second place that Joanne and I lived, right here. Uh, and uh, all of my pictures have cars in them, by the way. They really do. We, uh, it's a, my life's a history of cars. Uh, and uh, this is a little garage apartment. We live, this is the second place we lived, and we were so excited. It had one room. See those steps going up the side there? It had one room. It had a little kitchenette, and it had a bathroom. It had one room. That room was the bedroom, the living room, the dining room, the family room, and when Johnny, little Johnny came along, it was the nursery, too, that one room. Uh, but, you know, we didn't really care. We didn't really care. You know why? Because we loved each other. And uh, love is something that, uh, you know, when two people are in love, uh, it doesn't make any difference. Uh, uh, happiness is that joy that lovers have uh, is not determined by that. Uh, I have another picture of another car. Look at that one. You know, if I had this car today, it would be worth at least $70,000. You know that? For those of you who know cars, you know what this is. And so, uh, and so there I had the garage door open. The car was so big it wouldn't go in the garage door. But that was our little house. Uh, we uh, we uh, were joyful. We loved each other. And we, st we still do after all these years, and even more so today. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to be part of a long-term marriage. You know that? Amen. It really is. Um, 
he says here, I want you to rejoice. Um, and and uh, what's the moral of all this story? You know, when two people love each other, uh, they want to be together. You know, God loves you and you love him. And so the circumstances really don't count. And what I'm saying today is, is God is all you need in your life for the joy of the Lord. He loves you, you love him, and you're together. You may live in a nice big house at one time in your, in your life, and you may live in a little old place like this, which is just the bare necessities, but it doesn't matter. When you have the Lord, that's what really counts. The second thing he says is this, let your gentleness be known to all men. Um, what does that mean? That means that you don't have to win all of the battles. Uh, you don't have to have the last word. Uh, the wor another word for this is mildness or patience. This word describes the heart of a person who will let the Lord fight his battles. They know that vengeance is, belongs to the Lord, Romans 12:19, And it describes a person who is really free to let go of all their anxieties and all the things that cause them stress because he knows that the Lord's going to take care of him. Uh, and then uh, the peace of God, that's another mark of a Christian, and it comes through prayer. I, and what is the threat to this peace in our life? What is the problem? Well, it's given to us in verse number six, and the problem is worry. It really is. And here the Bible says, and this is a command, don't worry about anything. Now, I looked this up in the original language, and I found that this word, anxiety, worry, uh, is a word that means to tear in two. And so I'm going to illustrate it for you today. Uh, this is what worry does to your mind. Now, how straight is that? This is what worry does to your mind. And as you worry, it keeps tearing your mind like this. And the more you worry the worse your mind becomes and the less you can concentrate. I remember one time I left the church and I was like that. And I went up here to Bethel Park to get my cleaning out of the Dugan's cleaners up there and my mind was so messed up that the lady had to tell me three times what to what to make the checkout for. I couldn't even keep my mind on the number that she told me to make the checkout for. Uh, that's what worry does. And so uh, Paul says, listen, I don't want you to do that. James says this, James 1.8. Let's read it. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You know, the more we worry, the more unstable we are. We go to work and we're like this. And uh, the boss says, hey, hey, go do that. And we don't even know what he's talking about. We can't focus. Don't do it. John Wesley said, worry is a sin. Uh, and, and I know that a lot of people look at this and they say, listen, is this an impossible command? It isn't. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that we won't worry, but it means that what we're supposed to do whenever we do worry is take our burdens to the Lord. We're to pray about these things. Uh, you know, these people in this day had the same things to worry about that you and I do. Uh, the condition of their country, the condition of our country is deplorable. We worry about our country. 
But we should do more than that for our country. We should pray about it. Uh, their ability to provide a living for their family, uh, the safety and health of their family, where their kids are, who their kids are hanging out with. They had these problems just like we do. But, you know, they had another big problem that we don't have. And it's this. They had to worry about being a Christian. The consequences were great. They're not today. And so they had more actually to worry about than you have to worry about. And so Paul says to them, listen, I don't want you to worry about anything. Uh, let's re- leaf back. Hold your place right here and leaf back with me, please, to Matthew chapter 6. And I want to show you just for a minute what Jesus says about this very thing. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 25. Jesus speaks to this. Actually, Paul is just repeating what Jesus said. Verse number 25 of Matthew 6 says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body or what you'll put on is not your life more than food and your body more than clothing. And then he says, I'm going to give you an illustration. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more, of more value than, than they are? We have these birds around our, our house, the red birds, blue birds, all kind of birds. They, they're pretty happy. They look well. The Lord takes care of them. They're not lazy. They're out there working. But the Lord, he says, look at them. I can take care of them. And you're, you're of more value to me than they are. Which of you, by worry, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Now here's another illustration. Look at the lilies, how they grow. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall I eat, or what shall I drink, or what shall I wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. And here's one of the most awesome verses in the Bible. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What things? Food, clothing, and shelter. The basic essentials of life. If you put God first, God will feed you, God will clothe you, he'll put a roof, some sort of a roof over your head. Uh, and, uh, and so Jesus said, listen, I don't want you to be worrying about these things. And then he kind of capped it off, and he said, listen, as a postscript, uh, by the way, don't worry about tomorrow. One guy was so convinced that worry was good, he said everything he worried about must have been good because it never happened. Um, he says, listen, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's in the hands of the Lord, right? Uh, And so uh, Jesus spelled it out, and he said the same thing here, don't worry. Um, Take these things to the Lord and give them to God. Uh, What is the solution? Pray about everything. You know, there's uh, nothing too great for God's power and and, uh, nothing too small for his fatherly care. Uh, You know, the Lord, it's interesting, you know, in Matthew 6.33 there, uh, it says, seek first the kingdom of God. But the verse 
previous to that says this, for after all these things the Gentiles seek for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these. God says, I want you to look at me as your father. You know, fathers take care of their kids. I mean, good fathers, by the way, take care of their kids. And he says, listen, I want you to look at me as your father. I'm going to take care of you. Boy, it's a wonderful thing to have a good father, you know that? Uh, for a kid to grow up in a home and say, listen, my dad's going to go to work today. He's going to work hard. He comes home tired at night. And the reason why he does it is because he loves us. He loves us here. He's going he's to put something on the table for us to eat. And so, and so the Lord says, listen, I'm going to take care of you because I'm your father. You know, when we worry, it makes us the father of the household rather than the child. We take over the fatherly role. You know, there are all sorts of things for fathers to worry about. They don't want their kids to worry about them, do they? They guard their kids. They don't want to tell them everything. It's too heavy for them. He says, you just look at me as your heavenly father. And I want you to come and pray and run to me when you have these problems and these worries in life. Uh, you know, of course, we're here when our kids have a calamity. But we're also here when our kids fall down and bruise themselves or we kiss their hurts away. And so the Lord is saying, listen, I want you to run to me. I'm your heavenly father. And I want you to bring your burdens to me because I'm interested in you. You're the child. I'm the father. And when you pray, I want you to pray with supplication and everything by prayer and supplication with thanks. What is supplication? That's asking God to do something. It really is. And thanksgiving. You know, we must not let the... Whenever we pray, uh, we have to be thankful. A lot of times I've seen people's... You know, they, they face an issue and it becomes so big in their life they forget about all the other blessings that God ever gave them. And the only thing they can... The only thing that they can concentrate on is, is what's going wrong now in my life. And they forget that God's alive. He was alive in their life yesterday and the year before and the year before. And so he says, I, I, when you, whenever you bring your worries to the Lord and you cast your care upon the Lord, I want you to have a thankful spirit for the privilege of prayer. Uh, this implies perfect submission to the will of God, to be thankful. And what's the result of this kind of praying? It's the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. That's the result. Uh, you know, the peace uh, that is promised in the Bible is a wonderful thing. Uh, it not only, not only does the world not understand it, but we don't understand it either. You know, we can't explain it because it's of heavenly origin. God is working out his plan in our life, and, and uh, we're in the midst of a storm, and, uh, and we rely upon what he said in the Bible, all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And people are saying, well, you know, if your God was really taking care of you, why did this happen? Well, we just love God enough to know that uh, we're not in charge of a lot of things in our life, but, uh, but he is. And he knows the future and we don't. And uh, for someone to send his son to die upon the cross for our sins, uh, we feel confident to trust him for our, not only our soul salvation, but for our everyday life as well. Uh, he loves us. The peace of God shall, shall guard your hearts and minds. The word guard there is a military term, means watch over you. It will guard you. 
Uh, I've had to pray a lot about a, about a lot of things in my life. So have you. When my kids were growing up, I'll tell you what, there were plenty of things to care to pray about. I told the, our Saturday night congregation last night, uh, I I had a I have a prayer rug. It's my rug in the living room. It's the rug that I used to lay on, prostrate myself before the Lord at night, praying for my kids, wondering where one of them was. I won't give you his name. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, I told the people, listen, you need to have a prayer rug. When you have the burdens that come into your life, uh, we're not supposed to carry them. We're supposed to carry them to the Lord. Amen. And when we carry them to the Lord, listen, they may never change. They may never change. But whenever we carry our burdens to the Lord, what he does is he changes us. He gives us the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding. And what that means is we can get up off the rug and we can go again. We can get off the rug and go again. And a lot of times people say, well, you know, I prayed about this and I prayed about that and I prayed about that and that didn't happen. You know, that's all up to God. God wants us to do what's right. And it's right for us to pray about it. The result belongs to him, not you. That's why we're praying about it in the first place. And so, and, but, the, but the peace of God enables you to get up and go again. Get up and face tomorrow. There are some people in our church probably that have such heavy burdens. And the only way that they're going to be able to face tomorrow is to take their burdens to the Lord tonight. And the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds. That's not two different things. That's just the inner man. God will watch over you. You'll be able to get up in the morning and go to work and keep your mind on the subject. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Well, there's a lot to think about here. There really is. Jesus said, listen, you don't have to worry about your life. Just uh, put me first. That's all. I'll take care of you. I'm your heavenly father. There are a lot of fathers in our church this morning. There's nothing you wouldn't do for your kids. I mean, you get up every morning early. You go off to work. You face situations you wish you never had to face. You talk to people you wish you never had to talk to. Uh, you have so many disappointments. You come home depressed but you do it for your kids. And, and the Lord says, listen, you're my child. Come to me. I'm your father. I'll watch over you. As we ponder these thoughts this morning, I wonder how many of us have been unduly carrying our burdens. We've been trying to work out the situation rather than casting our cares upon the Lord. Rather than taking them to him and letting him put our mind back together. I want to encourage you to, if I could today, to ask you to turn over a new leaf. Don't look at prayer as something that Matt Pettigrew does in the church. Or a few deacons do in the church. Uh, you get yourself a good prayer rug. And you, and you get together with God and you unload on your heavenly father and God will put your mind back together that's all over the place right now. 
Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We, uh, Lord, this is a timeless message for all of us because, and I put myself right in this category, Lord. I need this today. I just pray that you will apply these things individually to our hearts. Uh, help us, Lord, not to bear these uh, burdens, uh, these heavy burdens alone. Help us, teach us how to run to you, our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our concluding song together. And if you're here today and there's a need in your heart, and you'd like to come to the altar and pray about something, a friend or a need in your life, just feel free to do that as we sing.